0: My theme this morning is living sacrifices. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Living sacrifices. And I have a take-home message, which I try to put the whole message in a single sentence that I want you to take home with you and to work on. We have uh, notes for our cell leaders and encourage you today and into this week, having heard the message, to work through the application questions of this message. But here is the summary. Here's the take-home message. If Jesus is worth anything, then he's worth everything. If Jesus is worth anything, then he's worth everything. Sacrifice. We all know that if you want to achieve something worthwhile, it's going to cost you something you may call it a sacrifice when I think about that I think about one of our young women shining bright young woman married lady along with her husband he is equally as bright and shining as this but she is such an exceptional woman I wouldn't even embarrass her by giving you her name she is high up in her employment in the area of finance and her, her uh, services are well-demanded, well-paid. But she said, you know, after all this, I work, I work many, many hours, but you don't want to serve God. So not only is that, she's running a successful cell, successful series of sales. And on top of that, she's serving in an area of the church. And on top of that, she's out at every single thing that is necessary. She so says, my goodness be so surely that's enough. And she says, no, it's not enough. Do you know what? I also need another degree. I, I, need, I need accountancy. When am I gonna do it? I know what I'll do, does she say? I'll give up going to services on Sunday. I'll give up my cell meeting. I'll give up all these other things. I have gotta put my business, my career first. She says, no, I'll get up at 5 a.m. Monday through Friday. Now I'm exhausted just thinking about it. 5 a.m. to study her accountancy degree. Godly motives, not just selfish ambition. Willing to pay the price so that she would be as qualified as necessary to be in the place where God wants her to be without compromising on her spiritual life. That's a sacrifice and I think it's amazing. You know when the Bible says present your bodies as a living sacrifice... It's highly technical language. First of all, it's a bit surprising because you know if you're a sacrifice, you're dead, okay? Uh, That lamb brought to the altar, that lamb isn't so dumb as to think, I'm gonna be okay, I'm gonna survive this. No, you're gonna die. So a sacrifice is about death But there are two things here about the living sacrifice. First of all, it is living because it's renewed in Christ. And secondly, it's going to live beyond the sacrifice because there's such a thing as resurrection. In other words, whatever you give to God that's given in the right motive, sacrifice that is made in the Spirit, you will never miss out. You will never lose out. And in fact, you will look back at it and be embarrassed that you or anybody else described it as a sacrifice. You read the Apostle Paul in coming up to chapter 12. He said a lot about life and death. He says that we died with Christ, that we might be raised with him to walk in newness of life. So a renewed sacrifice, a living sacrifice, is somebody who is alive in Christ. And this means something very significant in the first instance. It means that we come to present our bodies to God on the basis of what God has done for us and as a response to what he's done for us. It is not about initiating something that God will pay us attention, that God will finally let us into heaven if we do enough for him, or that God will honor us if we pay back all that he's done for us. No, it's out of a renewed heart, a renewed mind, and a renewed spirit. That is the true spirit of sacrifice. When we come to church history and mission history, there are so many examples of people who have paid amazing prices for the sake of missions. Our own Wendy White, who lost her life in martyrdom in what was then uh, Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. And together with all the other Elam missionaries, all those years ago's anniversary of that this year, They prayed for their attackers as they died. God forgive them. God forgive them. As the woman, excuse me, well they were violated. And and, uh, hacked to pieces by machete. Loving Jesus. Loving the people who were killing them. And so much so the spirit of grace fell upon that rebel group. And the leader himself came to Christ and became himself. A preacher because of the testimony sacrifice the person I want to focus on today from church history it's very enlightening for me is a man called C.T. Stud C.T. Stud, you see him there in the years in which he lived he was a man who had a privileged background he, were, he would have been a good politician because he, well, he was educated in Eton along with his brothers and went to Cambridge And at Eton, he and his brothers excelled in cricket till one day C.T. Studd made it to the English team, uh, cricket team, and played against Australia way back at the beginning of the history of the Ashes in 1882. Now the English team lost to Australia, nothing new there, for that time of course they came back and won again and C.T. Studd was world famous for his cricketing prowess, but in 1882 what they did was they burned the bale or whatever it was and made it into some ashes and so the tradition of the ashes. So way back there was a captain, was a person skilled in cricket who loved God, but he was not yet fully committed. He went to a meeting by Dwight L. Moody, who was the great evangelist of the generation. Christian Lyth may have just, may have just stepped out for a moment, and uh, uh, no, don't worry about it, he, he'll get this. I just wanted to say to people like Christian, who are so passionate about evangelism, and how this Dwight L. Moody was one of the top evangelists of the generation, and see how it all begins when people are passionate about Christ to preach the gospel. Well, D.L. Moody preached the gospel and C.T. Studd's father came to Christ. And uh, and as a result of that, eventually, the boys the three brothers came to Christ. And C.T. Studd went to a meeting where Dwight L. Moody uh, was preaching. And he decided to consecrate his life to Christ fully. Dwight L. Moody was known to say such things as, The world has not yet seen... What God can do through a man or a woman fully committed to him. And it was said that many people left those meetings being convinced and absolutely, totally asking God that they should become that man, that woman. Let me say it today, not that I can manipulate you or manipulate the Holy Spirit, but but who knows, God might still do something here. What would happen through your life Notice I'm preaching now, hammering the pulpit. Are you ready for that? Can you hear that in the balcony? What could happen through your life if from today you said, I'm going to be fully committed to God? So you have no, not, there's no limits what God can do through you. Anyway, C.T. Studd went away and did that and he, he was hearing about the missions move and the missions move there in the uh, 18, 1800s, 1900s, was what is known as the second great wave of missions. 100 years or so before that, William Carey had had a call to go to the coastlands of India and many missions were were based on the coastlands of different nations, easy place to reach. And then there was a second wave of missions but a hundred years later where God laid it on the heart of people to go into the harder places. Where was the inland places. You have such things as China Inland Mission, Sudan Interior Mission. And this man, C.T. Studd, was the head of a group of people called the Cambridge Seven. Very, very famous. Among them was a man called Cecil Polehill. Come back to him in a moment. This isn't a history lesson. This is an inspiration. Okay, the Cambridge Seven were young men. Some of them were involved in military. Many of them were graduates of Cambridge University. And there was such intense Christian activity in the university town that many of them decided to go into world mission. And the Cambridge Seven headed off into world mission. C.T. Studd was one of the leading members of this and he joined uh, Hudson Taylor who had this dramatic way of penetrating inland China and seeing how the gospel had to be incarnated in Chinese culture, Chinese dress, Chinese food. By the way, the food is very easy, all right, (laughs) to be enculturated in that. I would eat Chinese food every single day. But what was hard was to penetrate the, with the gospel. And, 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 and he was 25 years of age, C.T. Studd, and then he learned that his father had died and left him with an enormous inheritance. So he said, that's wonderful, I don't know how much it is, but I'm going to start spending it now. He wrote checks to D.L. Moody, he wrote checks to Bernardo's. he wrote checks to George Muller, he wrote checks to every single person, and then when he found out what the inheritance was, he'd spend it all, given it all away, so happy, 4,300 pounds were left. Now back in the day, that is a lot of money. So he said, I'm going to give this as a wedding present to my darling wife-to-be. And this was a fortune. And she said, what are you doing that for? If God's told you to give it away, I'm going to... So she gave that away and they had nothing left. And of course, they had financial need. Logic would say, save a bit for yourself. Support your own missions. Now, I'm going to trust God. And every time the pennies were low, they said, God, what a wonderful thing. Hallelujah. The pennies are low. Praise God. Now is the opportunity for God to show us that He, we can depend entirely on him. So he went further than that. Now his wife became critically ill. Most of the time she was at home. Listen to this for sacrifice. His wife became critically ill. He came back from the missions to do his husbandly duty to be with her. And when she had recovered sufficiently, still convalescent, he left his sick wife in England while he went back to the mission field. Today, you can hardly get a staff member to leave his wife if she has a snivel. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Family. Sacrifice has got to come back to the Christian life. At the heart of the Christian life is sacrifice. Now I'm not saying everybody's called to make the same sacrifices. But I know, and I'm certainly not boasting. If I was boasting I'd be absolutely crazy. Let me not boast about me. Let me boast of this woman. For 16 years, nursing 24 hours a day, a permanently brain damaged child... Never once did I miss one meeting. She stood her ground and paid the price. One day, I was about to go to a meeting and my dear wife complained. It was so unusual to hear her complain. I said, oh my, 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 things must be bad at home, I better stay. So I phoned up the secretary and said, I'm cancelling this meeting. Oh, it's okay, we understand. And she heard it, she said, what? What? Get back on the phone and reinstitute that meeting. Get back there and do what God has called you to do. What a woman. Let's give Jesus praise. That's the spirit of sacrifice. Where we prepared... To do whatever Jesus tells us to do. Now to obey is better than sacrifice. Just sacrifice is not enough, it has to be from God. So if God tells you to sell your fortune, give your fortune away, do it. But if God says invest it for the kingdom, do it. And you say, now listen to me, you say, okay, give me the fortune and I will gladly decide what God is telling me to do. It's not just about sacrifice. People can sacrifice for all kinds of religious reasons. The kamikaze pilots sacrificed, the terrorist suicide bombers, they sacrifice. but it's not obedience. So it's not just about sacrifice, it's about obedient sacrifice following the Holy Spirit. Amen. But these men and women of that generation were pioneering something. After he'd finished with uh, One Nation in China. Uh, C.T. Stud went to another nation, India, and finally in his old age he went into Sudan to pioneer in the interior of Sudan gospel centers. And they said, you are old, go home, you've done enough. He said, even if I die here, then let my grave be a stepping stone for other people to come. He said, why are you so radical? He said, why don't you you had a great, you've done enough. Go back home, go to the leafy suburbs, go to the countryside and sit and rest. And he said, some like to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I'd rather set up a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That's what he said. And every time they challenged him, he said this. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, Then there's no sacrifice too great for me to make with him. Sacrifice. It's at the heart of our faith. And here it says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. We are to live our lives permanently on the altar. Now, I'm going to pause right there. I don't say this to give you, to let you off the hook. I say this so that I would not be a hypocrite. I cannot tell you, brothers and sisters, that I live my life totally at every moment on that altar. I want to tell you there's something on the inside of me, it's called colandai, flesh, and yea, verily, the flesh stinketh, that wants to get off that altar, that wants to please himself, that wants to live for his own ambitions and desires and thoughts and beliefs. But thank God that there is a greater one who lives in me, Mr. Holy Spirit. And by the Spirit of God, I can put to death that stuff. There is a struggle, but this is what we're called to. Let me describe some of that for a moment. Whole life lived on the altar of God. So let me just give some principles here. These are now significant teaching points. And you need to grasp them because if we miss any of this, we're going to miss the whole lot. So here they are, and I've actually summarized briefly these points for the soul leaders, you'll be able to see them. But here we are. First of all, it says this is an active, conscious choice that you must make. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourselves. You present your bodies as living sacrifices on the altar of God. What does this mean? This is active. So unless you do it, it won't happen. i to ask you a question. Have you done it yet? Do you know that the only reasonable way to live for Jesus, as I say... If Jesus is worth anything, then he's worth everything. C.T. Studd says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then there's no sacrifice too great that I can make for him. It's the only logical response out of gratitude, but it must be an active response. You must choose to do it. Your mother can't do it for you, though God knows if she could, she would. Your pastor or pastor can't do it, though God knows if he or she could, he or she would. Your brother, your sister, only you can do it when you make a choice, an active choice, I am going to live on the altar of God. It's an active choice. Secondly, it is a response. I've already intimated this, a logical response. Now, there are certain dangers with different kinds of religious zeal. The apostle Paul wrote about the children of Israel, the Israelites of his day. Many of them, of course, accepted Christ and so on, but many of them didn't. And he says this in Romans 10, verse 2 to 4, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they go about trying to establish their own righteousness, ignorant of the righteousness of God in Christ, And he says, haven't understood that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Meaning, they had not understood that the way to be right with God was not trying to live correctly, but believing Jesus and receiving his gift of righteousness. And after right believing comes right living. They didn't know that. And there is such a thing, I believe, in the religious life or spiritual life, as we desire to walk with God, there is such a thing as striving in our own flesh. You know, God comes back to the same issues in our life time and time again. And when we think we've dealt with it, he comes back to it we find some deeper roots. I want to say to you today, and if you wish to take this up as a sermon illustration or pray for me, that's fine either way. Uh, two major spiritual battles of my life. and Holy Spirit's been showing me recently I've still to get back and conquer them completely. Number one, being worried and anxious for no reason. That's sin. Because it means you're not trusting God. I find it e- easy to worry about stuff. And I've had to learn consciously to take my cares and hand them over to Jesus. If you could know, the things that I've worried about never even happened. Mostly never happened. Second thing is this. Self-effort. Here's how I rationalize it myself. I love God so much. I want to see your life blessed. I want to see London come to Christ. I want to see the nations blessed. I want to see it so much that I'll do whatever I can to make it happen. Right or wrong? We cannot make anything happen. I can't make anything happen. And when you're trying to make it happen... And God is not there. You're going ahead of the Holy Spirit. You're striving in your flesh. Remember, Paul says, it's by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh. Remember, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's learning that balance between being active and making an effort. And on the other hand, ensuring that you're being inspired by the energy of Jesus and not trying to do it in your own strength. So in this business of presenting your body as a living sacrifice, it is so against your nature that if you try to do it without the Spirit, you'll end up as a religious zealot, a religious bigot, and you will be so embarrassing to know. But if you surrender to the Spirit of Christ... The Christ who is in you, who knows what it is to, to respond to Father's love. And so the response here is the response to his love, the response to his grace. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that's the key phrase, by the mercies of God. And if you'd had time, we had a time to read it, you've probably done it many times before. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. It's all about God's grace, all about God's mercy. Chapters 1 right the way through to chapter 8, full of mercy, full of grace. Chapters 9, 10 and 11 not a diversion, but showing how that God never gave up totally on the nation of Israel and their rejection of Messiah was God's mercy on the Gentiles that we could be grafted in to that olive tree knowing that we should not be proud or arrogant because if God grafted the wild olives into the tree, how much more will those natural olive branches come back and so all Israel shall be saved and the nation are going to be blessed. And so it goes on to this amazing climax. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and unsearchable riches of God's wisdom of God's grace. Therefore, on the basis of all that God has done, the free salvation that he's offered you, the death of Jesus, the gift of God's sacrifice to the whole world, the power of the resurrection, the promise of the coming of Jesus, all of this should motivate you. To live for God, knowing that you are holy, H-O-L-Y, not H-W-H, anyway, not holes in you, but you are holy, holy to God, holy, 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 some of you are so holy I can see right through you, but not that kind of holy, holiness unto the Lord, G in Christ you are holy to God and here it is, listen to this, drink it in, you are acceptable to God right now because you are in Christ. Not because you look good, smell good, smile good. Got to quiet times in this week. Put double tithes in the offering for a month. Please consider it anyway. It's not just because of that. It's because you are in Christ. And therefore, you are as acceptable to God as Jesus is acceptable to God. And on that basis, not trying to build your righteousness. Do you serve God? Not are you trying to offplay your guilt. You serve God. Not because you're trying to pay back a debt. This idea, oh, I'm so indebted to Jesus. Meaning what? You're going to try and pay it off? It's a crazy illustration. Made it up at 9 o'clock. I can't improve on it by 11. Here it goes. So you are in debt. Let's make it, you know, not too hard, easy, kind of easy debt. Let's say you are in debt for 50,000 pounds. And you say, how am I going to pay? I can't pay. And then somebody has mercy on you. Dear old Uncle Percy has mercy on you. And he says, do you know what? All my billions are of no value to me. I've got more money than I can spend. So here you are, my niece, my nephew. See how ridiculous the story is getting, but never mind. I'm going to give you not 50,000, but 50 million. (laughs) Somebody told me. You're dreaming about it, aren't you? <laughs> Somebody told me 9 o'clock, that is a thousand times more than you need. Check it out. Any accountants, finance people here? All right. Now what happens if you got that 50 million and you spend it all and you say, you know what? Uncle Percy was so nice to me. Uncle Percy Thank you for helping me out. Now I'm going to pay it all back because I'm indebted to you. He said, no, no, it wasn't a loan. It's a gift. Your salvation is not a loan. It's a gift. You don't have to pay it off. And good thing because you could never pay it off. No sooner that you could pay off a 50 million pound debt. So when you give your life to Jesus, it's not out of guilt Not trying to pay back a debt, I've got to do this, I don't really want to, but I guess I owe it to the old man upstairs. No, it's out of delight. The best way of describing this is the response of gratitude. You're just so grateful. You know, he that's been forgiven much, loves much. And out of love, say, oh, what can I do for you? And you want to give everything to God. So this is a response based on the knowledge of who you are in Christ. Your identity, your position, the fact you're acceptable to God. Learning that God's will can be as acceptable to you as it was to Jesus as well. Whole life lived on the altar of God. Now how does this work out? What does it mean in practice? I think Jesus gave us this when he said, Not my will, but your will be done. Remember he said that in the Garden of Gethsemane. We are entering mystery here. It's very difficult for us to enter into the psychology of Jesus, fully man, fully God, body, soul, spirit, fully man, fully God, God incarnate. Yet it seems that in the reality of his two natures in one person, naturally speaking as being fully human, he wants to shrink from the pain and suffering of the cross. Now that's natural. But he surrenders even that natural, logical thing to say, do you know what, even at this point, when everything that is within me wants to shrink from this, I surrender to you, Father, and say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, that was not a sinful desire. To st- it was a natural desire, not a sinful desire. Now, when it comes to your life and my life, not only do we have natural desires that we need to bring to God, but we also have fleshly desires. The desires of our, of our body and our heart and our mind, which are still speak of our old life. Okay? And so when Jesus says, take up your cross, die daily, lose your life in order to gain it, what he is saying is, you put to death the desires and attitudes and thoughts and then hence also the emotions of that old life and you embrace your new life, your true life in Christ. And he says that is what it means to take up your cross. And what that actually means is, is like nailing your hands to the cross of denial of self. And no amount of nailing your hands to anything and your feet to anything is going to be pleasant. This ain't a feel-good thing. On for, for the moment. For the, hold, hold it right there. Because, you see, when you go through that, after the crucifixion, there comes the joy of resurrection. You're never going to miss out, okay? Never going to miss out. But there is that denial of self. And that is what it means to put yourself on the altar of God. Every moment when you say no to the, to the self and you surrender to God, you are on that altar. And He can bless you for it. Amen and amen. Not my will, but your will be done." Now for us, when we say, not my will, we're talking about the will that is based on worldly thinking and worldly knowledge. And have a bit of self-compassion here. Have a bit of self-compassion and self-mercy because that old way of thinking isn't immediately eradicated. But we have to re-educate our minds and focus on the truth because If we look at C.T. Studd and ask logically, using human reasoning, I probably would have sat him down as his pastor and said, Now listen, Charles, you know, you've got this massive fortune. By all the way, by by all means, write a big check to Kensington Temple. Please do that. Please listen to the first thing, KT for short. Okay, now we've settled that. Now, thank you for that. Okay, bless you. Now... You know, you ought to retain some because you've you, you got a missions call upon your life. I can see that clearly. You want to go to China. You want to go to India. You're going to pioneer great things for God. No, no just keep 4,000. Keep 4,000. 4, That'll be enough to keep you in your missions for the rest of your life. That's what I would have said to him. That's logical. And for many of you, um, many of us, that would be the right advice. But if God is saying something different, if God is saying, give everything to me, give all your money, lay it down and and trust me and I will use you much more because you trust me and not depend in your rich parentage and your rich uh, um, uh, inheritance. So it's about what God says to you. and Sometimes there's no easy answer. Sometimes it would be absolutely right for that man to leave the mission field, go home and look after his wife for good. You get it? Wouldn't you say that in many ways, logical and natural? But if God is saying something different, and my point to you is not that you should be like this in every respect. My point is that you should be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that if God says it, you do it whatever the cost. There are some people who are so committed to the church and you wonder what's going on at home. And you go home and you see, well, the marriage is so bad, no wonder he's at the prayer meeting. At the prayer meeting every week, he's the most active in the church. He wants to get the heaven out of that house. So there are all kinds of reasons where external activity doesn't necessarily mean that there is behind it a real spirituality. But as two things I want to say. Number one, none of us will escape sacrifice if we're going to walk with Jesus. And that's painful. Number two, however, it must always be directed, led, by the Holy Spirit when it comes to things like saying no to sin you don't need to pray about it just get on with it obey God so we have whole life lived on the altar of God not my will but your will be done that's the key to sacrifice and then out of that flows what I can only describe as sacrificial service now here I'm not so much wanting to teach but I want to exhort you because deep, deep down, I prepared this message before the result. Maybe I wasn't tuned into the Holy Spirit, but I expected the result the other way. Expected the result the other way. When I look back, it's totally consistent with the vision God gave me. However, here's the thing that there is a reason beyond the blessing and benefit of our own lives that God calls us to sacrifice. Sacrifice is all about giving away to others. And, and here's a principle, Jesus understood this principle. He said, if, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, I don't like this, it's a bit similar to my name here, you see. <laughs> unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and Colin dies. <laughs> Die, column die <laughs> falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone, but if it dies, what does that mean? It, it, it dies, it doesn 't remain whole, it dies isn 't it a great? And then it, then out of that grows something. He said, if it dies, the same brings forth much fruit. Jesus was talking about his own life, saying, I know. What lies beyond this grave? If I, take, if I lay my life down, I'll take it up again. And, and he knew that he was going to see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. He knew that in dying and giving his life as a ransom for many, there'll be many, many multitudes be saved and come for him. And it's the same for you and me. God calls us to live sacrificial service. We are called to a mission. We are called to influence. We are called to make a difference. And right now, in our moment of history... I see in the Spirit. I sense in the Spirit. You don't have to take my word for it. I hope that you've got some kind of trust in my ability to hear from God. But not absolute trust. You've got to hear from God for yourself. But as far as I'm concerned, there is like some opening. Tonight in North London, I'm going to speak on standing in the gap. It's like a gap has opened and God wants us to be the first there to stand in the gap on behalf of the nation. We have a real opportunity of influencing what lies ahead. You know, I wonder I'll give you more detail, but the 2020s are going to be a very difficult decade for us in Britain for Christians. Many things are going to happen. There will be changes that people want to make to society. Changes to rid us of many Christian traditions. from uh, Take them out of the monarchy, take them out of the established church. All kinds of things are going to happen. And also we know that even now that people are wanting to write the British Constitution. We know the British Constitution is unwritten. It's an ongoing document. It's very clear what it is. Everybody knows what it is, but nobody can write it down. So they want to write it down and they want to make a British Constitution. And the reason for that is not that we should have a better system because our system works. The reason for that is to write out of the British Constitution anything to do with God or Jesus. Christ. So mark my words. That's the spirit behind it. And we can be in that place and say no. We can say no. Don't talk about my rights, human rights. Talk about the great traditions of this nation. Dieu est mon droit. My right comes from God. My right is not given to me by the state. My right comes from God because I'm created in the image of God. And we will stand up for the faith of Jesus Christ in a tolerant way. In a tolerant way, it's about time we stop projecting intolerance, if ever we have done. Intolerance of the gay lifestyle, intolerance of other religions, intolerance of other beliefs. We have no right to be intolerant. We have every right to proclaim the truth and give a reason for the hope that is within us. How can we evangelize those whom we antagonize? That doesn't mean to say, however, that we drop all biblical standards. No, no, no. We get skilled and loving enough to use that skill to win people to Christ. To show them the reason of the hope that is within us. To show us, to show them that we have a better way. Not because we're better, but God's way of living, God's way of families, God's way of serving, God's way of doing life is the best way. Not arrogantly. But to be so ready... To serve our nation, that they will say, look, there go the people of God. Oh, hallelujah, we have an opportunity. Multiply, sow your life as a seed. The field is the world, not the church. The field is the world, that's where you serve God. Don't expect plain sailing, expect choppy waters. Amen and amen. But he's, he helps us through the storm. Prepare for a long journey. This isn't around the corner. This is a long journey. Expect a struggle. Not just from outside. Expect the worst struggle from the inside. Saying, I don't want this. I want me, 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 my life. I'm my, 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 my gone. Expect disappointments. We're not here that God is going to give us everything we dream about. Every one of you has got a dream. And some of you are going to see it fulfilled, but everyone is going to see some desires not fulfilled and you'll go to your grave disappointed unless your hope is fully in Christ who is never a disappointment. Expect setbacks, but expect to win by focusing on him who is true. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For the knowledge of Jesus, we thank you that serving you is the highest expression of human freedom, human dignity, highest expression of God-given human identity. And yet so many of these things go right against the spirit and attitude of our age, which we have imbibed from our nursery schools right the way through to university, Every television program and media outlet is influenced by the philosophies of this age. But we thank you that we've seen another truth, who is Jesus himself. Help us to set our minds and our hope fully on him. Help us to have our minds so fully focused on him that our actions and behavior is is consistent with the best and the good and the acceptable which is your will. Help us, Father, to stand in that place publicly, not ashamed of Christ or his gospel. Present the gospel lovingly and intelligently, but at the same time, to be clear about who we are and what we believe, so that we could at this time, in this opportunity of giving us, to be an influence, which would have been a hundred times harder if we had to try and influence those unaccountable, under-elected officials of the European government. Father, thank you for the grace of God upon this nation. Strengthen the hands of its leaders. Let the ship be steadied. We put our trust in you. We know, Lord, that whatever happens, you're still our shepherd. In or out, we're not shaken about because you are our shepherd. Bless your people. Give them grace, give them strength in Jesus' name. Amen Amen and amen. Give Jesus a big praise.